You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Hello, good morning. It is Thursday, the 28th of September. Helter Skelter start to the day. Hopped aboard the 6.30 Aer Lingus flight from Dublin back home to TW11, putting today's podcast together. And then I am off to Newmarket for the first day of the Cambridgeshire meeting. We'll be talking about the Cambridgeshire later. And of course, we'll be talking all things Arc de Triomphe. And the draw is taking place as I am recording this. And the key headlines from the draw so far are as follows. Um, contrasting fortunes for the two big British horses. Westover in stall one, but he'll need to ride his luck from there. Hook him outside in 14 of 15. Only Sim Camille is wider than him. The favourite ace impact has a nice looking post in stall eight. The Japanese mare through seven seas is in stall five. Feed the flame, the big local hope in stall two. A fantastic moon for Germany is wide as well in 12. The horse we were talking about yesterday, Baybridge, is in six. Uh, they're the key headlines from the draw for the Qatar Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. Later in the show, I'll be talking to Sean Quinn about Highfield Princess, Alan Cooper about the restructuring of the Niarcos family's racing and bloodstock operations. I'll be talking to Ramiro Restrepo about Mage and the Breeders' Cup Classic, Harvey Bell along to talk about the Tassels horses in training catalogue. But back to this draw, Hookham, 14 of 15. I don't like breaking bad news, but that's what I just had to break to Shadwell Racing Manager Angus Gold. This was his reaction. Um, as you say, Nick, not ideal, but uh, at least there aren't 20 runners this year. He's not right on the edge of that lot. Um, so, obviously, Jim will just have to work his way across whenever he gets a chance. Um, where was Frankie drawn on Golden Horn? Yeah, he was He was right outside in a bigger field. He was wide, wasn't he? But obviously, he probably had more tactical speed than our horse. Um, so... And look, it's not ideal, as I say, but but there you go. It's it's the arc, and there's always going to be plenty of runners. Um, so he'll just have to to work it out and and try and go forward and get a position wherever he he can get in. Uh, and not notwithstanding that, you're a you're a veteran of many campaigns now, and I, I'm sure you would love nothing more than for those blue and white Shadwell silks to pass the post in the arc in in front. Can you gauge the level of uh, of excitement of optimism in in the Burroughs camp ahead of this? I think for anybody, Nick, it's just fantastic to be going to the arc with a horse uh, with a with a with a real chance. So obviously, hugely exciting for everybody. Um, you know, we all know you've got to be at your best to win an arc. So there's, there's no room for error on any on any side. And whether the draw is going to count against us, only time will tell. But uh, look, he, the horse is in good form. They've been very happy with him. As we know, he's only run the twice this year. He's as fresh as he can be. Um, it'll get very interesting to me to see how the older horses get on against the two real good-looking post-three-year-olds. And, and you... you had a good look at this field who do you fear the most um uh, more than to say obviously in this quality of race you respect every single participant um otherwise they wouldn't be there um i, I personally i was terribly impressed uh earlier in the season anyway with um pascal barry's horse 
Um, feed the flame. I thought feed, feed the flame. He, he looked like a potential champion to me. Obviously, Ace Impact was mighty impressive when he won the Jockey Club. Um, arguably less so in his trial in August, but Jean Claude said he wasn't fully wound up, so I'm sure he'll have him where he wants him. And you know, there's, there's plenty of horses like Ernesto and Saint Camille and Plastic Carousel who could easily be in in the mix. Fantastic Moon looked impressive the other day, um, and Continuous obviously won the ledger well. So. You know, you could name one of six, uh, but it is a mark, as I say. For me, the big thing is really if the older horses are better than three-year-olds or is one of the three-year-olds outstanding. All right, that was Angus Gold. Uh, shortly before the draw was published, I was talking to David Yates, newsboy from the Daily Mirror. So notwithstanding what you've just heard, did David give Hookham a serious chance of, of winning the Yard of Triumph? Very definitely, yeah. I think Hookham is a... Well, the, the betting tells you that he's the strongest challenger from Britain and Ireland, and I can certainly see him playing a a leading role on Sunday. Um, you know, I'm sure, like um, like I have, you've looked at the statistics. The anoraks have really been out in force um, over the last few days with uh, telling us the the trends for uh, Sunday's race, and of course, no six year old has ever won the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. A seven-year-old, Matrico, did win in 1932. But yeah, I mean, the other thing that's worked, even when you look at the stats, and of course this is something that uh, they can't take a, that they can't take account of, Hookham isn't your archetypal six-year-old, is he? He's had 17 runs, of which 15 have been on turf. And so he's had... Uh, the the odd bump in the road with regard to injury. So, um, you know, he's not a typical horse of that age, but you look at the the balance of his form the last few years, the the defeat the defeat of of pile driver this season. Owen Burrows uh, did a piece with me, which will go in Sunday's uh, arc pullout, if I can give that a plug, uh, and said that with regard to the defeat of Desert Crown in the Brigadier Gerard Stakes at Sandown in May, he said that. Of course, he was surprised that he beat Desert Crown, but the interesting thing that they all shared uh, going into this year that they felt that Hookham was getting quicker, which was why they went to 10 furlongs. Then, of course, uh, there was a couple of months before his defeat of Westover, and that is a key piece of form, obviously, with regard to Sunday's Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. Um, the two of them are, uh, are separated by a couple of points in the betting. They were separated by a head in the King George at Ascot. I think it'll be very close between them uh, once more. But this is this. There's there's no doubt that Hookham is a leading player. Um, Owen Burrows has had a really uh, resurgent couple of years when you consider after the passing of uh, of Sheikh uh, Hamdan Al Maktoum that. He, he had to make staff redundant and and then enter the realms of uh, the public trainers. And what a magnificent job he's done of it. And yeah, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if Hookham were to give him, and I think the Shadwell Colours, a first victory in Europe's middle distance championship. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you could argue that they were rather robbed by uh, Saki winning in 2001, which was, of course, it was a Sheikh Hamdan horse, but ended up being annexed by by Godolphin. Um, so uh, Sheikh Hamdan was responsible for, for Saki effectively, but it, it didn't get to race in his colours. So there would be a certain significance 
were that to happen. Uh, just before we move on, on Monday when we spoke on this podcast, you were quite strong in saying that you felt that Ace Impact should be a shorter price favourite than he was. Are you holding fast to that view with 72 hours under the under the bridge? I'm clinging to that view with gritted teeth. Um, ah. I've... Um... Yeah, I've 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 listened to an awful lot and read an awful lot over the last uh, three days, but I still think that Ace Impact is the horse with. Uh, he's the only horse in this field really with star quality. Um, you know, the likes of Continuous. Uh, he's obviously improving. Westover and Hookham are rock solid. You think about that Prix Jockey Club win. Now I know that Feed the Flame and Continuous have improved subsequently but they were well beaten at Shanti that day I, I was very interested Nick by the um the the lengthy and, and extremely interesting contribution of uh Adrian Cunhas uh with Tom on the NLD the other day when he was talking about the um the the, the record of three-year-olds relative to uh, ground conditions at, at Longchamp. And he said there was an unmistakable correlation between uh, the uh, success of three-year-olds and drying ground, decent decent ground in Paris. And it looks like we're going to get that too. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with Ace Impact. I mean, I think, I, I, I think that if he were... You know, I know I said this the other day, and, I, and it's, not a, it's not a phrase I really like because normally... When one is saying, when one says about horses, oh, if this horse were trained by Willie Mullins or Sir Michael Stout, well, of course, it's because the horse is invariably with a lesser known trainer who doesn't win those races that the the big yards um, win in their sleep. But I, I do think that if Ace Impact were, say, with John and Thady Gosden, he'd be a shorter price here. Um, he's, the, he's the horse with star quality here. Even though he's trained by a guy who's trained more winners than anyone else in European racing history and, won the, and has won the arc. But a trainer who is based in France ah. and isn't based in britain and so think- so that so it's a more more a point about the inherent bias of british books or british yeah, yeah. irish based books yeah, rather, rather than a point about the the prominence of the of the trainer per se uh, yeah absolutely right yeah it's, it's a i think it's a geographical thing and if people snarl at that thing oh do you really think bookmakers don't uh don't know about the talents and the achievements of jean-claude rouget well yes of course they do but in terms of the marketplace, uh, it's much easier to sell a horse, to lay a horse uh, to uh, people who want to back that horse when they know all about the connections. You know, the, the ARC has served up many stories over the years um, when it, it's been a harder sell because people just don't know uh, the, the trainer or jockey mm-hmm. involved when it's been a, a French train winner. And there's no doubt that um, British-based horses are put in at slightly shorter prices than they would be if they were trained elsewhere. It's 18 years, 19 years, 19 years, 2004, since uh, Thierry Gillet won the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe on a French-trained horse, trained by an Englishman, Jonathan Pease, and the horse uh, was Bago. Um, Bago, uh, Dave, famous for being uh, the Niarcos family's only uh, Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe winner. Um, you've given it all the brilliant horses they've had over the years. You'd have thought maybe there'd have been a, a few more. Suleimani ran a very good race in their colours as well. But yeah, 2004 Bago. And it was announced recently that uh, Goffs, which is where I've been during the course of this week, would be auctioning a huge um, cluster of beautifully bred 
breeding stock from from the Niarchos family uh, from around Europe uh, in November. And obviously, whenever something like this happens, there are, are jitters in the industry thinking that a major concern that's been curated over generations is about to ebb away. I'd be speaking to Alan Cooper, their racing and, and bloodstock manager, and, and I asked him to to provide, if he could, some reassurance that that wasn't the case. Well, it, it, it's I think it's important to emphasise the restructuring. It's not it's not a dispersal. Um, um, over here, Goff and several people have got it in their head that it's a, it's a dispersal, and it's not. Um, the family are continuing um, continuing to breed and race. It's a it's a it's an internal restructuring when horses are here for sale or will be here for sale in November, and the racing stable. We'll carry on through. We've got um, the foals of this year to look forward to racing, the yearlings of this year, um, etc. So it's it's a, an adjustment, but not a not not bailing out of the horse horse industry. Because the Niarchos family members of the Niarchos family are still massively enthusiastic about racing and breeding. That's that's fair to say, isn't it? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely, um, none more so than um, than um, uh, Maria. And uh, these these bloodlines have been built up over since the late seventies, early eighties, and we're still uh, with the fruits of those. Like Pasa Dublin, Dam of Miesk, who whose descendants continue to shine, and Northern Trick, and many generations later, they're, they're still. That family is winning stakes races um, in 2022, 23. So it's, it's a lot of history. And, and how many how many horses in training would you would you expect uh, next next season, for example, across across the world? Um, I I would think around uh, 70, 75. As I said, it's it's not a not a dispersal. It, it's a reduction. A reduction in terms of, of restructuring, and in terms of the in terms of the breeding operation moving forward, how how will that look? Do you think? Well, a lot will depend on, on what happens here in in, in November. Um, there are some beautiful, uh, beautiful race records uh, are coming up: you know, Alpha Centauri, Alpine Star, um, Albino, all Group mm-hmm. One winners. Uh, and um, they're coming up with preserves, and um, we'll see what happens. Okay, so I mean, if if they didn't quite make what you wanted, you'd be quite happy to to stick and keep them. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. I say it's restructuring, not a dispersal. <laughs> I can't emphasise that more than I. I, I very happy, very happy to give you the opportunity to say honestly. I, I think it's, I think it'll reassure a, a, an awful lot of people. Uh, and Albania's yearling made a lot of money this week. You are represented this weekend, not in France as you might expect, but actually in the Cambridgeshire with with a horse called Tyrrhenian Sea. Um, yes. Could this be the the mo- the, the, the most under talked twenty five to one shot ar- around this weekend? Well, it, it could be. He, he, he's been off the track since um, uh, March. But uh, Roger's very happy with where he is with the horse. And um, so we're hoping that Mr. Keeley can uh, have a double. I think he won the race last year. Hopefully he won't be ring rusty. Um, and if he is, he is. And he's got a follow-up um, entry in the uh, Balmoral.
Alan Cooper there, and, and in case you didn't get the memo, it's a restructure and not a dispersal. I, I, I he's been keen to stress that to everybody during the course of the course of the week. But David, it is understandable that you know when when a huge collection of prized assets go under the hammer, people draw conclusions. Yeah, of course, and uh, these are these are silks. These are absolutely iconic silks, Nick, as well, aren't they? Um, growing up, uh, you know, in the in the late eighties, uh, a horse like Miesque was was certainly responsible for, uh, for 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 my attraction to horse racing. Um, for what for what that's worth, um, obviously, near AF, you've got uh, six perfections. Rec- more recently, the likes of uh, Ulysses. We've got passenger running at the moment who uh, earlier in the season looked as though he could potentially be a group one horse. Uh, apologies for the for the many horses of um, of the Flaxman stables of the Niarchos family of Stavros Niarchos originally uh, that I've missed out there. But yeah, they're iconic silks. And when there is news of a restructure, of course, we get the jitters. The jitters, we got the jitters when there was a restructure uh, with Shadwell a couple of years ago and i think we would have to say that's gone extremely well um the uh the 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 shadwell colors might not be uh, quite as omnipresent as they were a few years ago but they're certainly a big force at the top level and uh, i i really hope that the the niarchos colors will continue to be as well because uh those of us of a of a certain age or or even older than I am, uh, will hold them in w- with extreme affection. And it might be that they win the Cambridgeshire on on Saturday, as Alan was saying, with Torini and C. Uh, do you have a, a take on the Cambridgeshire this year, Dave? A, pr- a pretty tough race always, uh, and no exception this time round. I, I just think that the the what one has to do to start off with is is look past greek order i think there's a there's an unwritten rule certainly in in tabloid newspapers nick and that is that um if you tip the winner of a race like the cambridgeshire or you know the grand national any of these big handicaps you need to be paid out at more than uh, 724 to 1 greek order's um chances are there for all to see he beats uh, Maximilian Caesar of Marco Bottis and, and beat him really pretty senseless, senseless at Newbury in uh, mid-August. The the runner-up then came out and won a, a valuable handicap at uh, Doncaster. Uh, Greek order is ten pounds higher here, um, and he's a, a brother to Sangarius, who was rated in I think the mid-teens. He won the uh, the Hampton Court Stakes uh, for Sir Michael Stout a few years ago at Royal Ascot, um, but. You know, he he's a. Uh, I think in in any list you look at, he's a best price nine to two, and so it's important. I think just to uh, to look elsewhere. I, I'm certainly. I'd be very interested to see how the two Jack Shannon horses get on, um, or the the two that uh, are in the that are uppermost in the list. So, uh, uh, Johan, of course, the winner of the the Golden Mile at Glorious Goodwood, and last year's winner, Majestic, who's three pounds higher than last year but i think has in the main acquitted himself really well in some strong handicaps this year all right well it's not just about the arc this weekend of course huge british challenge for an awful lot of the races at paris Longchamp, including in the prix de l'abbé and it will it be will it be a glorious conclusion to the european season for highfield princess uh, two-placed efforts at Royal Ascot, placed in the Duke of York, second in the Nunthorpe. Very impressive winner at Goodwood. Not so good in the Flying Five last time. Sean Quinn with me at Goffs. Uh, Sean, what are you feeling going into the into the Abbey? Confident? 
we've been happy with the filly since um, her run in Ireland, Nick, and uh, I, I feel she's probably in a similar sort of vein of form as she was going into Goodwood. Um, on the back of the... Yeah, keep going. Yeah, I'm just putting it on, do not disturb. On the back of the Curra run, a few things came to light. Um, she, she was in season, um, but equally just maybe didn't didn't run a race. Or a She missed the break, which is unlike her, isn't it? Or kind of bobbled coming out of the stalls. Yeah, absolutely, um, which she's never done, Nick. So when you put those things together, maybe she just wasn't quite on her A game, but credit the uh, connections of the winner and the winner himself. We'll, we'll look forward to taking him on again on Sunday. Okay. Um, have you done much with her since the car? Have you needed to do much with her? Yes, because she, over the past couple of years, she's a filly or a mare now that you do need to keep on top of. She, she takes a little bit of work. She's a little bit more rounded than she used to be. So she worked on Tuesday morning, Jason Hart rode her, and, and she worked very, very pleasingly. As you know, John has always said, she's not a filly that burns it up at home, but she showed pleasing signs, and um, yeah, we're looking forward to Sunday. Do you have any any views on on ground and, and and what she really wants on on Sunday? I don't think so. I think I believe it's going to be quite dry in Paris this week. Uh, it might end up good or on the slow side of good, and uh, that that would be perfect. She's she's won on all types of ground, so that wouldn't worry me. And is there still any feeling about taking her somewhere abroad after Sunday or not? Possibly, but John and I have been of the. Um, mindset that we'd like to get through Sunday mm. she hasn't won a group on this year and, and she has a very tough task ahead of her so we're, we're very much thinking we'll jump through this hoop and, and then take it after that and has, um, has John fairly decided on a mate for her next spring I believe he's had a lot of stallion masters <laughs> um, on his shoulder so uh, I think he's not spoiled for choice yeah I mean I, it's got to begin with an F and end in an L hasn't it that wasn't the suggestion I made to him. Was it not? No. Okay. No. But it's his choice. Okay. Uh, I guess I, I'm not asking you to tell me what you did suggest. Uh, but if you want to tell me, that's fine. Um, I'm guessing you're thinking just speed on speed. I've suggested to him that she, she last year she was European champion sprinter, and it might make sense to go to a very good sprint stallion. Mm. Okay. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good point and it's it's well made yeah and you're not going to find out who I suggested um, Sean thank you very much good luck thank you Nick alright that was uh, Sean Quinn responsible for Highfield Princess going to the Prix de l'Abbé at Longchamp on Sunday and I think guarded optimism behind her chances of rounding off her European season on a high David Yates is still with me uh, David every so often on this on this podcast we we stumble across what uh, Dennis Norden used to refer to as a cock-up, and that occurred at Warwick earlier in the week. It might have slightly more serious ramifications for for the BHA and the race course than perhaps we first thought. What happened? Well, if you're one of those people who likes uh, to see the, the photo finish camera working uh, whenever there's a, a close outcome to a race, then uh, you wouldn't have watched that one at Warwick with much satisfaction. Uh, track and Trace, uh, trained by John Joe O'Neill, um, was, uh, well, went across the line, locked together with Mickey Moto, uh, trained by Martin Keatley, running in the colours 
of Harry Redknapp. And it turned out that th there was a delay. Uh, Track and Trace was announced the winner, but it, it, uh, it turned out that the photo finish equipment uh, hadn't been working. And so, obviously, I, I mean, I, I think if you watch the race and you watch it live, not, well, as live, not live, um, you can, I, I think you would come to the same conclusion uh, that in fact track and trace came out in front but obviously we we have these now and again don't we and, and people like me say oh it's a you know multi multi-million dollar industry and it looks like dad's army uh when the photo finish equipment doesn't work the as of yesterday connections of the runner-up were considering an appeal um and I, definitively, I don't know if they, they've uh, they've made a, a decision on that, but obviously, you know, it, it's it's easy to uh, to make light of incidents like this, but it, it does show us in a in a pretty amateurish light. Well, one of the big features of the Goffs Orby Book One yearling sale was the amount of American buyers in the building. Up to 40 Americans came over. Many of them got a piece of the action. One of them was Ramiro Restrepo, uh, the co-owner and buyer of the Kentucky Derby winner, Mage. Come to him in a minute. Ramiro, did you have a good time? Great time. Uh, Goffs has been taking care of us for, for so many years. They're really hospitable. And uh, just uh, when you feel at home, you're that much more comfortable in, during the buying process. And, and for you, how important is it to get into European bloodlines? And, and, you know, how do you intend to apply that to what you're doing back home? Sure. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, it was all the rage to buy private. And these maiden winners or, you know, those that you know were placed in maiden races and you were paying, you know, four, five, six hundred thousand dollars. And uh, didn't really know what you were getting. Right. You really didn't. And at the same time, you were getting priced out as the popularity of that private purchase went through. So, you know, the advent of these European sales companies hosting us to come over, you're able to get in right from the start and put them through your program. So as long as you're try to be as sharp as possible with the bloodlines and, you know, familiarizing yourself with the European form of the stallions and the female family, you know, you can bring them over and have that quality that's naturally a cut above the American turf racing pedigrees. I've talked quite a bit about sire lines and what works in the States with a number of American buyers today. Now, it interests me that you bought an Earthline and you bought a Pinatubo. Now, they're both Dali Stallions. They're both by Shamadal, obviously Blue Point's doing very very well as well, and Shamadal's son, Lobe de Vega's done very well in, in the States. Is that something you were particularly alighting on? 100%. I think, uh, you know, these stallions that show brilliance in, in their two-year-old form, going anywhere between 1,000, what is it, five furlongs to seven furlongs up to the mile is something that's really important. There's a lot of program for that in America, uh, from five, five and a half up to the mile. It's a really popular program for the two-year-olds there and the prize money you know for turf racing is going through the roof so if you're able to get that kind of you know special talent that Earthlight and Pinatubo both showed at two and that can translate with some class in the female family you know the hope is that that you know hits for us back home. Um, how's Mage doing and is he still pointing to the Breeders' Cup Classic? 100% Mage is doing great uh, we ran him in the Travers and things didn't go according to plan but look racehorses they race and we're not in the habit of protecting records. We're here to show up on the you know big time days and running big time races. And uh, credit to the winner and to the rest of the horses there. We just uh, we know we didn't put our best foot forward that day. We're just going to draw a line through that and go on forward. Yeah, and given Go Rocket Ride, who I I kind of think is my 
idea of the likeliest winner of the of the Breeders' Cup Classic at the moment, given that you pushed him all the way in the in the Haskell, to what extent does that give you hope, seeing what he then went and did in the Pacific Classic? Yeah, and then we beat Arabian Night, who who yeah. ended up winning the race. Uh, so they'd be two of the top three at the moment, wouldn't they? If you yeah. were you know, if you were betting on the race now in in this country. Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at the fastest run races this year um, of all ages. Uh, Mage has the fastest three-year-old race this year in the Kentucky Derby, and you know we're hopeful that if he can go back to that to that performance, he'll be right there in the Classic. And look, I know he runs more than four furlongs, which is what he showed in the Travers. He's clearly a horse that can get the, the ten furlongs, and we're going to just regroup and, and aim for that. Now, obviously, you've got a rider issue because your rider is now committed to Archangelo. Um, so, who rides Mage in the Classic? Uh, well, b- before the injury, Louis Size was booked to ride him in the Travers. I mean, that was going to be our rider, and uh, Louis was someone that has been in touch with us since before Mage's Maiden. So it's someone that we've been uh, in close contact with, and we actually had had a, a beautiful afternoon with Louis a couple days before the Travers and had a, an amazing game plan in place. And unfortunately, the day before the Travers, he gets hurt, and uh, we, were, we weren't able to secure his services, obviously. So... Um, We've been in touch, and we'll just see how he go, how Louis comes along. And look, Mage still has to have a great month, obviously, uh, out there in Santa Anita to prepare for the classic, and um, we'll, we'll be squaring that that away sooner yeah. than later. But he'd be your first choice if he was available. Definitely, yes. Yeah. All righty, it's great to hear that he's well and he's training well. Uh, good to see you here as well at Goffs. Um, enjoy the stay. Thank you, Nick, and see you soon for sure. All right, well, we've been giving yearling sales season due prominence in the last few weeks, and we'll continue to do so into next week, of course, with the beginning of the Tattersall's October yearling sales. But beyond that, no small matter of the 1,750 lots of the Horses in Training catalogue, if you are still living in the dark ages and the catalogue drops through your letterbox, it'll probably break your foot if you're not careful. Harvey Bell from Tattersall's joins me now. Uh, it's it's very different vibe to the to the uh, to the yearling sales, Harvey, but no less important to to the way the world goes round. In fact, you could argue possibly even more important. Yeah, absolutely, Nick. As, as you mentioned, I don't envy the postman who might have to deliver a few hard copies of these. But it's a it's a big catalog, up twelve percent on the year on year, but a very important part of the process. And uh, with the way that market's been in recent years, it's. Uh, part and parcel of that process that, that that comes when people are going to be investing in yearlings from next week onwards, as you mentioned. Uh, and what do you see uh, as the key developments in, in horses in training in that market over the last four or five years? Uh, I mean, the number of countries that now participate in that market just grows and grows and grows. I mean, not only the, the high-profile horses that go to the Gulf and America and Australia and the Southern Hemisphere, um, but younger jurisdictions as well that like to participate, and we're very lucky with the products that we have to sell uh, from Europe to those to those other jurisdictions, and, and and then the subsequent success that those horses do have. And in terms of, of this year's catalogue, are there aspects of it that that stand out to you? I mean, I note those Godolphin and Judmont consignments really are quite chunky. Yeah, Godolphin, Judmont, Cormore, um, a number from Shadwell as well. Those, those those consignments consistently perform at the higher stage when those horses are moved on into into new hands. And uh, I don't think it's lost on the buyers or the sellers that when, when those drafts come up for sale, that uh, they they attract a lot of attention because of the success that they've had in previous uh, previous years. Every good catalogue needs a poster boy or girl. 
I don't suppose you're going to look too much further than regional, are you? Three and a half grand for a Group 1 winner? No, absolutely, yeah. Horse in training graduate, but three and a half grand and uh, an amazing result with Ed Bethel at, uh, in the Spring Cup at Haydock. Um, it just shows you that uh, you don't have to spend a lot of money to get a lot of luck, but um, it's uh, those, those horses are fantastic stories and, and part of that cosmopolitan feel of a of a big sale like the Autumn Austin trading sale is that there is really something for everybody and so amazing stories that I'm sure will be written in the years to come as well. And interestingly, I mean, a lot of people would, would look at the horses in training maybe to, to go and buy jumpers. That's been more competitive and more, more difficult maybe over the last few years because of that that market for for, for Australia in, in particular and, and possibly to the Middle East. Are, are there still good national hunter horses to be found in there, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. As you said, we see the National Hunt Fraternity locking horns with the, uh, particularly the Australian market a lot. But that being said, we've seen horses like Piper in years. So um, there's a lot there to offer for the jumping game as well. And I'm sure, uh, I'm sure the protagonists in that field will be uh, will be coming back even stronger in that last week of October this year. All right, 23rd to the 27th of October, the Tattersall's Horses in Training sale, expecting buyers from more than 30 countries. Harvey, thanks for your time today. Thanks, Dave. All right, thanks to Harvey, to all my guests today. Here's David Yates, and he has a tip for you for this Thursday afternoon. We go to the 505 race at Pontefract, Nick. It's the lazy boy at KC Sofa's handicap. And I'm sticking with the top weight, Dashing Panther, a horse who's come up to, against two well-handicapped rivals on his last two starts. Uh, conditions here should be fine, and I hope there's more improvement to come uh, from this lightly raced four-year-old. 505 race at Pontefract. I won't read the race title again, but the selection is number one, Dashing Panther. And will you be watching that from your lazy boy or will you be attending the sports today? I should be watching it from a chair in the press room at Newmarket, which I doubt very much will be a lazy boy, even if one is occupying it. All right. Uh, look forward to seeing you there. Look forward to seeing you all tomorrow. That was Thursday, September the 28th. Bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.